Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, reading from the ninth chapter, verses 27 through 31. This is on page 9 in a pew Bible, if you would like to follow along. Prior to reading, let us look to God in prayer. Lord God, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do, that we might be your obedient and faithful people. Through Christ the living word, amen. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying loudly, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes were opened. Then Jesus sternly ordered them, see that no one knows of this. But they went away and spread the news about him throughout that district. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We return to our topic of prayer in these sermons for the Lenten season. Uh, We began this a few weeks back just as an introduction, uh, talking about the importance of prayer. And how prayer is, in effect, or in essence, um, a part of the spiritual DNA for those who follow Jesus Christ. Apart from a life of prayer, our faith may be a ritual, it may be a religion, but it won't be a relationship. So we need prayer in our lives if uh, this is to be a relationship between us as individuals and our God and us as a community of faith. We are a praying congregation. I went on the next week to talk about the first purpose of prayer is to know God more intimately and better. That's the purpose of prayer. It's not simply to get the things we wish or to try to advise God as to how God should govern the universe or our individual lives. In our third session, last week, we looked at this biblical expression about seeking God's face, which is an idiomatic expression in the Bible for the presence of God. We are to seek the presence of God. And we try to recognize the discipline of consciously placing ourselves in the presence of God as we go about our daily lives. Only in this way can we pray constantly or pray without ceasing as the New Testament encourages us to do. One ancient definition of prayer says that it is keeping company with God. Do you keep company with God as you go about your daily activities? If you do, then words are not required. Uh, Words are important if you want to speak, but just consciously being in the presence of your creator and redeemer is the first purpose. And we continue today looking at some of the problems of prayer and the possibilities for prayer. (coughs) Pardon me. So let me just ask you as we begin this session what do you expect when you pray what do you think is going to happen when you pray or do you think anything's going to happen at all is this just an empty empty rhetoric or a dead ritual or do you actually think something's going to happen as a result of your praying unfortunately I think many of us really don't expect much when we pray to our God 
We pray because we're told to pray, because we're expected to pray, because it's advisable to pray. But in point of fact, I think a lot of us really don't expect much to happen as a result of our praying. We have low expectations when it comes to our life of prayer. And there are many ways you can see this or experience it. Here is a person who is chronically ill or diseased in some way. And uh, their friends say, well, what can we do for you? And they say, well, you can pray for us. They said, no, really, I want to do something. You know, I can bake you a cake or run an errand for you. But I really want to do something physical or, or visible. And they mean well, but in a sense, it's almost suggesting that prayer is a perfunctory service, a courtesy or a thoughtful gesture. But they really don't think anything's going to happen as a result of their praying. But most of us, when we're going in difficult times, really want someone to pray. And that prayer is doing something for the one who needs it and for the one who offers it as well. And I think we have often low expectations when it comes to prayer in our corporate worship services. Because each and every week, we pray for all kinds of things, don't we? We pray for racial justice. We pray for world peace. We pray for the plight of the hungry and the homeless. We pray for those who are troubled in some way, those who are grieving. We pray for our friends, our relatives. And sometimes we do it with such dispassionate indifference that an outside observer might just conclude that this is nothing but a ritual, empty rhetoric. Uh, but really, there's no sense of confidence or expectation when we pray corporately together. There are even examples of low expectations in prayer when it comes to the scriptures. And one story that I have in mind is from the 12th chapter of Acts. You may want to read it later, but this is uh, so typical. And if it weren't such a tragic part of uh, the life of the early church, it would actually be humorous. If you know the name Rhoda, if you know the little girl named Rhoda, then you may be familiar with this story. But this is what happens in Acts, the 12th chapter. King Herod's, Herod has initiated a bloody persecution of the early church. John the Baptist had already been killed. Uh, and, and now James, uh, the brother of John, has been killed by the sword, we're told. And the apostle Peter has been arrested and put in prison under armed guard. And... What King Herod had agreed to do is to have his trial the day after Passover was over. So it would be easier to get away with it. Because the Jews were creating quite a fuss because these followers of Jesus were making such inroads into the Jewish population. And they were upset and they put pressure on the king to arrest Peter. And so he did so. So Peter is in prison. We're told that the, the early church, while he's in prison, the early church is praying fervently for him. Then the night before the trial is to take place, Peter's in prison between the two guards who are keeping watch over him, and an angel appears in the middle of the night. Peter's chains fall off. The angel leads Peter out of the prison. The, the gates miraculously open past the sleeping guards and into the middle of the street, where as suddenly as he had appeared, the angel disappears. So Peter is there in the middle of the night thinking that he's had some kind of vision, that this is a dream or something, because he was sleeping when the angel appeared. So he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, her only appearance in the, in the scriptures. 
Because he knows the church is meeting there. And what are they doing there? They're praying for Peter. So Peter goes to the door and knocks on the door. The little girl, Rhoda, runs to the door, hears the voice of Peter outside, comes back and tells the group that is praying, Peter's outside. And what does the group say to her? Are you out of your mind? That has to be his angel. Here they are praying for his release, that he'll be spared. He's there. And they, we're told that they are amazed, they are astonished when they realize that it really is him because they thought maybe it was his angel. Back then they believed that people had their own personal angels. Clearly these people were not expecting much as a result of their praying, were they? So surprised that God answered their request for sparing Peter. Makes you wonder what you pray for. You better be careful what you pray for. You may get it even though you're not expecting it, right? So again, I ask you, what do you really expect when you pray? I don't know whether it's fact or a fantasy. Uh, Someone sent me a, a story that I find kind of amazing. It comes out of Mount Vernon, Texas, and a man named Mr. Drummond built a new building in town and announced that this new building was going to be a new tavern for the town. Well, the local Baptist church got so upset, they started a a petition to stop the building, the opening of this tavern, and had uh, prayer meetings asking God to stop the construction of the tavern in their town. Well, as it turned out, the night before the bar was to open, lightning uh, struck the building, completely destroyed the building and the church members were feeling rather smug and self-confident that God had answered their prayer until Mr. Drummond decided to sue the church for destroying his building and it made it all the way to the court and the judge reading over the paperwork said well I don't know what I'm going to do with this case but it seems to me at least that we have a a bar owner who believes in prayer and a congregation that doesn't. So what do you expect to happen when you pray? Are you just going through the motions? In our gospel lesson today, two blind men come before Jesus seeking mercy and healing. And Jesus asked them explicitly, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said, yes, Lord. So Jesus proceeds to touch their eyes and he says to them, according to your faith, let it be done. And their eyes were open. Obviously, Jesus thinks there's something to this business of expectation, confidence, assurance when we approach God in prayer. Whether or not God does what we specifically ask is another question. But do we believe that God is capable of doing what we ask? We ask believing, I think, that anything can be accomplished by our God. But we also recognize that we are not privy to God's ultimate plans and purposes. Now listen carefully to this. God cannot see our present situation from the same perspective as we do. God sees things differently. God can see what comes before any decision and what comes after any decision. In the case of these two blind men being healed, God must have had a purpose that he had in mind that would come about through their healing We're not told what that was. But does God heal every visually impaired person? Of course not. 
But in this instance, God's purposes were going to be served. And the church and the world have been blessed immeasurably by people who were visually impaired. So not every blind person is healed, even when they pray for healing. What if Fanny Crosby had had vision? She wrote over 8,000 gospel hymns. We sang one stanza from Blessed Assurance. That's one of her hymns that she wrote. Would she have had that kind of insight and ability had she been sighted? I don't know. But we do know that God can do more than we can ask or imagine. And when I sing, it's a part of that. One of the stanzas says, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. And I think when I sing that, this is a blind person writing about her visions. The idea of God seeing from a perspective different from ours came home to me a few years ago. We were visiting our youngest daughter out in Denver, Colorado, where she was doing fellowship. And uh, we went to church one Sunday morning and decided with she and her husband, my wife and I would go with them out west of Denver and climb a high mountain near Red Rocks. Well, we proceeded to climb the mountain. I got about three-fourths of the way up the mountain, and I was exhausted and wanted to pause and rest. The three of them kept going, and so I had about an hour and a half to myself before they came back down and picked up the old man on the way back down to the bottom of the mountain. But it was a great experience for me, sitting on the side of that mountain. It was really a, a spiritual experience. Uh, I could see for miles and miles beyond me and below me. I'd brought my binoculars with me. I could see all kinds of things that no one knew I was seeing or that I was even up there. I could see a motorcycle racing around a mountain pass, trying to go past slower-moving vehicles. I could see in a distance what he couldn't see, that there was a tour bus that was kind of blocking the road further down. And beyond that, there was a state trooper with his blue lights flashing that's about giving out tickets so I could see what this person couldn't see. And while he for sure was frustrated with the slowness of the traffic, the fact of the matter was the slow traffic, the bus down the road, and maybe even the blue flashing lights were saving him either from an accident or from getting a ticket. He didn't know that, but I could see you see what was coming up. And I thought it must be like this for God. God can see what's going to happen as a result of our prayers and as a result of things that he is working on in our lives and in the life of his, of his world. So when you pray, pray believing that God can accomplish and may even specifically respond exactly as you pray. Pray knowing God can do anything, but going, knowing that God has his own plans and purposes, and we are to trust in that. There may be some here today that think I'm not going nearly far enough with this idea. There are a lot of Christians who believe that, no, if you only pray with enough faith, anything you pray for is going to be accomplished just as you pray it. Sometimes these people call, say this is, name it and claim it. You just name whatever you want God to do and believe that it'll happen, and it'll happen just like that. And you may be thinking that passage of Scripture from Mark 11 where we read Jesus is speaking, and he says, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe 
that this will come to pass, it will be done for you. So I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Well, my take on this is that Jesus is exaggerating a point to underscore a principle about the importance of confidence and faith. I don't think this is one of those passages that should be taken literally. And I believe it for rational reasons and I believe it for biblical reasons. This is a hyperbole, an exaggeration in order to make a point. If Jesus is saying, oh, we only have enough faith and we can cause anything to happen, then this is making of prayer a magic wand, a talisman. And it also puts us in the position of telling the sovereign God what he should do in life, in our lives and in the life of the world. Furthermore, if we take this literally, there is no one who's ever had sufficient faith to accomplish their purposes through prayer. Certainly not the Apostle Paul. We're told that he prayed three times that the thorn in the flesh might be removed, and it wasn't. Jesus Christ didn't even have enough faith in his Father. Through blood, sweat, and tears, he prayed that the cup of suffering might be removed from him. And yet he got, got up from the garden and drank the cups of suffering to its very dregs. Now, I don't know if this approach to prayer helps you or frustrates you in your prayer life. We live in a scientific age where so many people today think there needs to be some verifiable connection between cause and effect. And ever since the Enlightenment, uh, people have placed their faith in the, in the human mind and our ability to control nature and have concluded that anything that can't be fully understood or explained or even demonstrated is not to be taken seriously. Now to be sure, I cannot prove anything that I've said to you this morning. It's a statement of faith. Try as we may, we will never unravel the mysteries of prayer. And as so far as I am concerned, that is a good thing. Faith, after all, is the assurance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. In conclusion, therefore, I invite you in your life of prayer to pray with, with confidence. Pray believing that God can accomplish anything you share with him. But also pray confidently knowing that your God has your best interest in mind. And will sustain you. And will give you the grace to cope with whatever you face in life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.